You are listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. For more information about Journey, please check out our website at journeychristian.com. We are a community of fully devoted disciples of Jesus who reach out to love our neighbors, serve the hurting, and develop leaders for ministry. Uh, As you just saw, we are, are kicking off a brand new series called Clutch. Who are you when it matters most? It's a sports uh, theme series, and, and what a great weekend to do it. We, we have the NFL kicking off. We, yep, come on. Yep. I, listen, that was weak because I know there's more than four NFL fans, okay? I, I know that. And then we had college football yesterday. Man, now here's the deal. College football, it was a great day yesterday. All the right teams won and all the wrong teams lost. And, and as we're in this sports theme series, some of y'all are like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really a big sports fan. I don't, that's what a lot of Alabama fans say, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just. Gator fan here, we win one game against a high school team. We, we, a Gator fan, we win one game against like a high school team and now I think we're all that, okay? So it's okay. We are in this series and I, I understand it is gonna be a sports theme series, but um, it's really studying the life of David. You, if you don't know anything about sports, you're not gonna get lost. We're just gonna lean into some of the language. And I think, it, it, I, I'm excited. I think it's gonna be a powerful series. Clutch, who are you when it matters most? Week one, what we're gonna talk about today is off-season workouts. Off-season workouts get game time results. And that's what we're gonna look at today. But uh, before we dive into that, uh, we're gonna kind of give a little bit of background on Israel, on David. Um, And so before we dive heavy into that, that's gonna set us up for the whole series. When I was in high school, played baseball, and I had a friend of mine that was really good at baseball. He played shortstop and he had a couple scouts looking at him. He had a lot of scouts actually looking at him, but one scout in particular set up a one-on-one tryout with him. And, and, And I was fascinated when I heard this story. You see, there was a scout and there was a coach at this trial and that was it. And the coach came out and said, hey, go to shortstop, I'm gonna hit you 500 ground balls. It's a lot of ground balls. And as he's fielding each ground ball, ground ball after ground ball, he notices that the scout's not even watching. He's actually not even there at this time. Can't even see the scout. And it was after he, after he fielded the 500th ground ball that the scout came out and he watched him take a couple hundred more. And my buddy's like, great. Finally, once I'm hot, once I'm tired, now the scout wants to come out. I'm already beat, man. This is, this is not a good day for me. And then they stop the fielding drill and they go in and he starts hitting. And he went in to get his helmet, his bat, his batting gloves. And by the time he made it to the batter's box, he realized that the scout was no longer in sight again. And the coach pitched 500 pitches and he just one after another was cranking them. And then after 500th pitch, the scout came out and just started watching him. And he's like, same thing. He's like, man, of course, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Why is this happening? Well, a couple weeks later, I was able to run into the scout and I talked to him. I said, hey, man, I heard about that crazy drill, that crazy tryout. What's that all about, man? I've never heard anything like that before or even since. I said, unpack that for me. He said, Dustin, what people need to understand is that if I come see them practice, I already know their highlight reel. 
I already know what they're like at their best. I don't need to see them at their best. What I wanna do is I wanna wear them out and I wanna see what they're like when they're tired. I wanna see what is their muscle memory. I wanna see how do they handle the mental challenge of being exhausted after ground ball, after ground ball, after hit, after hit. That's who we wanna scout because he said this. He goes, I know what they're like on a good day. What I need to know is what they're like on a bad day because what we wanna do is we wanna find clutch players. Not just people that know how to peak. And I thought, man, I think that's what God's doing. He's like, listen, I, I don't want just people on a spiritual roller coaster going up and down. I wanna know what are people like when, when things don't go their way? Are they still following me? Are they clutch? Who are they like when it matters most? Reminds me of James 1.12. It says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Clutch, who are you when it matters most? That's what this whole series is about. Let me unpack a little bit of history for Israel and then we'll dive into David. So a little bit of history of Israel. Israel was God's chosen people. Israel was, was set apart. And like for us, man, that, that would sound awesome. And everybody wants to be set apart until they're set apart, right? And even though they're God chosen, God's chosen people, it still sounds like, man, I don't know about that. Think back to when you were a teenager. What did you want to do as a teenager? Did you want to stand out or did you want to blend in? You want to blend in. And God's like, listen, I didn't create you to blend out. I created you with certain skills and gifts. I don't want you to blend in. I want you to stand out. You're my chosen people. And that's how Israel was. God said, listen, you're my chosen people. I didn't create you to blend in. I chose you to stand out. But... They had an inner teenage rebellion and they're like, we don't wanna stand out, we'd rather blend in. First Samuel 8, 19 and 20, it says this, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. You see, up to this point, they didn't have a king. You know why? God was their king. God fight, fought their battles. God dictated everything. And they're, what they're saying, this is one of the most disrespectful verses in scripture. They're saying, God, we'll take it from here. God, God thank you, but, but we think we could do a better job. We don't need you anymore to fight for us. We don't need you anymore to, to guide us. We're gonna take it from here. And so they said, we want our own king. And when we read scripture, it's like, well, man, that, that sounds so foolish, but don't you and I do the same thing? Like, isn't that true? Like, God, listen, we don't need your help. We'll take it from here. I think we know how to handle sex and sexuality, God. We'll sleep with who we want, when we want. We don't need your advice or help. We'll take it from here. God, we, we don't need your help when it comes to work and, and ethics. We'll take it from here. God, we don't need your help with relationships. You brought us this far. We'll take it from here. Thanks, but no thanks. And too often you and I could look as much like the Israelites than I think we care to admit and so the Israelites said, you know what? We don't want to be a chosen people. We want to blend in. Give us our own king. God allows us to make our own decisions. So we have kings. There's a guy named Saul that I'm going to unpack in a minute. But then there's a guy named Samuel. Samuel was a prophet. In the Old Testament, prophets, God would speak to prophets and, and the prophet would speak to the people on behalf of God. And so God speaks to Samuel and says, hey, I have tapped the first king of Israel. It's a guy named Saul. What's his name? Y'all are on fire. Okay. <laughs> this is where we pick up. Samuel tells Saul 
about this. First Samuel 9, 21, Saul answered, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is, this, is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? So Samuel comes to Saul and says, hey, you're gonna be the first king. And he's like, are you serious? Have you not looked at my resume? Like I'm like the least clan and I'm the least of that least clan. Like you got the wrong guy. Some of y'all are saying the same thing. God's whispering to you, I wanna do something big in and through. You're like, God, what are you talking about, God? Do you know how old I am? God, do you know how young I am? God, do you not know my sin resume? God, do you not know who, I, who you're talking to? And see, this is what I know about my God. He loves to use underdogs. As a matter of fact, God specializes in underdogs. I said it before, I'll say it again. God, God doesn't look at a resume. He actually says, no resume, no problem. And so with Saul, he actually has this, the right posture. And so he, he anoints Saul as the king. And he starts off in this humble, right posture, and he's doing everything that God tells him to do until he does his own thing. And see, you and I, we have to be careful about that. You see, when we're in the valley, it's easy to obey God, right? Because we're thinking we don't know any better. Whether you're, and what I mean by valley, when you're starting off, maybe you're a freshman. Maybe it's your first year in a career or at a new workplace. You're like, man, I'll be humble then. But what about when God gives you favor? Are you still humble? You see, God started giving Israel favor. God started giving Saul favor. And once he had the favor, he did what many of us are tempted to do. He stopped obeying God. God got him that far. And then he said, God, I don't need, and he started doing his own thing. And here's what we need to understand about scripture and about Saul. Just like God promotes, he also demotes. You see, he promotes, it's not, he's not confusing. He promotes when we follow his will. And he demotes when we don't. If you look at the Israelites or the Old Testament, they're just doing this. And every time they're up high, it's not a mystery why. They're following the will of God. Every time they are low, it's because they did their own thing. Same thing in our life. If we were to map it out, every time we're doing good, chances are it's because we followed the will of God. Every time we're low, it's because we chose to do our own thing. And when God begins to demote Saul, God speaks to Samuel again. And he says this in 1 Samuel 16, verse one through three. The Lord said to Samuel, I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So now God tells Samuel, hey, listen, I know there's a king named Saul, but I want you to go and anoint another king. Like if you're a prophet, if you're that person, you're like, uh-oh. And that's what he tells God. He's like, uh, and God's like, no, no, I'm gonna protect you. Don't worry about it. And God says, I want you to go to Jesse of Bethlehem. And I want you to go uh, anoint one of his sons and I'll indicate which one. And so Samuel goes and he, and he sees Jesse, uh, the dad. And the first son he sees is Eliab. And he sees him and he's like, man, there's Eliab. This must be the guy. Man, this guy's like 6'2", 240. He looks like a word. This has got to be the king. And God said, nope. And then one of my all-time favorite, most hopeful, powerful verses, 1 Samuel 16, 7. <laughs> Come on. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. And all the ugly short people said, amen. amen. Come on. Do not consider his appearance or his height. Listen, 
for I rejected him. I'm not saying this. If you're tall and handsome, God rejects you. Okay? It's just right, it's just right here in Scripture. The Lord, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know what he's saying? The Lord looks at a resume. The Lord, or, or the world looks at a resume. The world looks for a resume, and God says, listen, I'm the one that creates resumes. I don't look, my ways are different than your ways. And so the first one that everybody thought would be it, who Samuel thought would be it, said no. And then one of the most funny, awkward things I can read in scripture happened. So, so there's seven sons right now with, with, with the dad. And the first one, uh, Eliab, he said no. And then scripture tells us one by one, they walk and they pass by Samuel. They're doing like a manly beauty pageant. Do you understand? I, I, I don't know what happens in that walk by. Like somebody's walking from here. When they get to the center, do they grunt? I don't know what's going on. They just get here, they do the little turn and then they come back and, and Sam was like, no, that was weird. No, you're not the guy. <laughs> they just keep coming back and forth. No, no, no. They go through all the sons. Samuel says to Jesse, is this all, is this all the sons you have? Just like, well, it's the only ones that really matter. It's the only ones that are here. I do have one other son, but, but he's younger and, and he's off doing chores. His name's David. I, I don't know if you want to bother with him. And he says, listen, you go get him right now. As a matter of fact, we're not doing another thing until he gets here. So they go and send for David. And as soon as David enters the scene, this is what takes place. First Samuel. Verse uh, tw uh, 16, verse 12 and 13. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Which by the way, if you have any brothers, it's not just one thing to be anointed, but get anointed in front of your other brothers that didn't get picked. That's just awesome. <laughs> and from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. That blows me away. You got all these studs and God says, no, 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 no. I want that one, the one on a hill, the one that nobody knows about, the one that, that everybody else has dismissed. That's the one I want. And when God anoints somebody, he comes over them powerfully. And I wonder if today I'm speaking to the one that's over there. I wonder if somebody today feels like they've been left out, like they're the youngest, they're the smallest, They've been battered and bruised. Let's keep going. 1 Samuel 13, 14, it says this, but now your kingdom, referring to King Saul's kingdom, will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. As a matter of fact, this is gonna be our series memory verse and I, and I love it for a couple reasons because it reminds me that God appoints, but he, but he also demotes that it's all in him, that all the favor rests on God. And it also reminds me that it's very simple. It's because we do the will of God or we don't do the will of God. So let me read it one more time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you not kept the Lord's command. Title of the message I said earlier, off season workouts get game time results. Off season workouts get game time results. How does how does David 
go from bench warmer to captain of the team like that? How's that happen? How does he go from like, man, you need binoculars to see the end of the bench because he's so far down the bench. He, he's riding the pine and he goes from bench warmer to captain to MVP to all-star. Why? Because his off-season workouts, that's why. Off-season workouts get game time results. So let me ask you, what's your off-season workout look like? Well, what do you, what, what do you mean off-season workout? What do you like when you're just sitting on a hill tending sheep and nobody even notices you? Who are you when nobody else is around? That's your off-season. So what I want to do is I want to look at a couple things that I think that made David who he was in his off season. The first one we already read is he was a man after God's own heart. So I think the reason that God picked him as a bench warmer to the captain is because he was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't a man after my own heart or, or the stuff that I get. And so the question is, are you a man or a woman after God's own heart? And, and where does that line end and begin? I'm a, I'm a man or a woman after God's own heart until. And I would say there is no until with David. He was just a man after God's own heart. But then we get a little, we get a little bit more indication in Psalm 78, verse 70 through 72. It says, he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And this is the line I want you to pay attention to. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands. He led them. What was David's secret sauce in his off-season workout? I think it was integrity of heart and skillful hands. David shepherded them with integrity of heart and skillful hands. You want to know how, how he went from bench warmer to captain? He had integrity of heart, meaning God can trust him, and he had skillful hands. Some of you, you're like, man, I, just, I, I want a promotion. I just want God's blessing. I want God's favor. I can't guarantee that God's going to do this, but I think if you have integrity of heart and skillful hands, I think God's going to take you places. I just believe that. I don't know what he's going to do, but I I just think that if you have integrity of heart and skillful hands, your boss can go, okay, I can count on this person and they're going to do a good job. That's what David had. David had integrity of heart and skillful hands. I want to look at those two things. The first one is integrity of heart, which means this, you are the same person in private that you are in public. You're the same person in private that you are in public. And some of you are like, yeah, but I have like private sins. Does that mean I'm just supposed to post them all on Facebook? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. But don't go post it on Facebook acting like you're all that and don't ever have any sin. You see, what it means is that who we say we are to God and privately is who we also say we are to God publicly. It's like, man, I'm a... And I am a sinner saved by grace. That's who I am publicly. You know why? Because that's who I am privately. Like I am a mess saved by grace privately. So integrity of heart is just being real and honest with who you are behind the scenes as you are in front of people. But I want to make sure you don't confuse character with, with reputation. You see, a man's reputation is what people think he is. His character is who God says he is, or who God knows he is. And there's a difference between character and reputation. So the question is, does your private life match your public image? Public image meaning uh, is being more concerned with how things look than the way things really are. In our social media world, we can easily get into that temptation of creating this public image. 
And I'm not saying you shouldn't post on Instagram your highlight reels. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, are you more concerned about your public image than who you really are? Some of you, um, you may recognize who this is when I think of image management. Anybody recognize this guy? Come on, Andre Agassi, yeah. Andre Agassi in the late 80s, early 90s, one of the most recognizable people on the planet. And yes, he was good at tennis, but the reason he was recognizable was because with that thing we call a mullet, okay? Just quick, show of hands. How many of y'all were rocking a mullet? Yeah. Some of y'all are like, what do you mean were? It's okay. Okay. He was one of the most recognizable athletes, very charismatic leader. And then Cannon Rebel came out, or Cannon came out with the Cannon Rebel, and they wanted to do this massive ad campaign, and they chose him. And you probably remember what the tagline is because it was everywhere. Image is everything. Image is everything. It was everywhere. Billboards, commercials, it was everywhere. Andre Agassi's picture, image is everything. That, that sounds great until Andre Agassi years later would write an autobiography where he confessed that his beautiful mullet, it's a wig. He said at the age of 19, he started going bald and it made him insecure. So he got a wig. And I guess if he's going to go, he's going to go big. You know what I'm saying? He's like, I want the top shelf one. Give me that one. And here's what I know about image management. You, you, you can't be concerned about image management and be in the zone at the same time. You see, he actually was doing really good in the French Open. He made it to the finals. He was dominating. And then right before the finals, his wig started to disintegrate. I don't know what that means, but I don't think it's good. And so he panics and he calls his brother and he's like, man, I don't know what to do. And he was so distracted with his image that he ended up getting beat in the French Open. Why? Because you can't be concerned about your image and be in the zone at the same time. Athletes know that. You just can't. You got to pick and choose. David had integrity of heart. The second thing David did is he had skillful hands. So the question is, when it talks about skillful hands, what are you good at? Anything like, pastor, that's not spiritual. What do you mean, what am I good at? That's not spiritual. It's 100% spiritual. You and I are called to steward every single thing we've been given. Stewardship is not about money. Stewardship is how I use my time, how I use my talent, how I use my words. I'm to steward everything. And God has hired, uh, hardwired every single one of you uniquely for what he calls the body of Christ, for us to work together for the betterment of the kingdom. And so, yeah, are you telling me that God doesn't care about the Israelites so much that he would choose a king that was incompetent to lead his people that he loves? No, he wanted to choose somebody that was competent to lead the people, his chosen people. And David was competent. He was skillful with his hands. God loves my kids so much that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross. Not so that I could be an average dad to them, but because he's called me to be the best dad I can be to them. God loves my wife so much that he calls me to be the best husband to her, not an, not an average or a mediocre husband. 
Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Ecclesiastes 9.10 even says, says, whatever your hand finds fit to do, do with all your might. Now, here's the thing. God's not telling you to be the best in your field. As a matter of fact, I'll say it this way. God's not asking you to be the best. He's asking you to give your best. And there's a difference. He's not saying you have to be the best engineer, but when you wake up, you're not working for that company. You're working for God, so you should give your best. God's not saying you gotta be the best teacher in the state of Florida, but just give your best to those kids because that's a stewardship issue. Whatever God has called you to do, he's saying, I want you to bring your A game, bring your best. That's how I created you. That's how you honor me is when you bring your best. Integrity of heart, skillful hands. That's how God promoted David. I have a feeling if we took those to heart, God's gonna take, take you places you've never been before. Here's what I find interesting. The day that Samuel anointed David to be the next king and the day that David became king, you know how far that was? That actually was a little bit further. No. It was 15 years. Did you hear me? We live in this instant society. 15 years from when he was anointed king to became king. You think, man, what was he doing for 15 years? The same thing God's doing in you. He's preparing you for the next season he's called you to. That's what God's doing. Don't, don't rush the preparation season that God has you in. Take it serious. He is preparing something. Your all-season workout is a preparation for the season to come. And I don't know if it's 15 years. I don't know if it's 15 months. I don't know if it's 15 weeks. What I know is I wanna be ready. That's what I know. That's why I love this quote. The worst thing that could happen to you is to succeed before you're ready. Do you know that? I'm ready, Lord. <laughs> I have a built-in little thing that whenever my heart is right and ready to, with God, it just beats. So I'm ready. <laughs> Y'all don't have that? It's awesome. Come on, working on it. 15 years of preparation. Listen, I'm, I'm not saying any of these things are easy but some of you have been single for a season and you're like, God, what, what's going on? I'm just saying he's preparing you for the next season. It's gonna be great. Some of you have been praying for a season and, what, and, and don't get frustrated. Just don't focus on other people, focus on you. God, what do I need to do to be prepared for the next season you have me in? Anytime I felt like I wasn't being successful, I'm not looking at other people. I go, God, I must not be ready. Where in my life am I not ready? Am I too arrogant? Am I too this? Am I too that? Prepare me now to be able to handle this because I don't want success and then I, I'm gonna sink the ship. That's the last thing I want. Don't make me the lead pastor of journey if I'm gonna sink the ship. You may as well not even make it happen. Don't, don't give my business success if you don't think I can handle it. Instead, why don't you prepare me now for success? And I would ask you, can you handle more money? Some of you are like, I don't know, I'd like to try. <laughs> can you handle more clients? Can you handle a busier, busier schedule? Because this is what I know comes with success. You know what comes with success? We don't ever say this. Power. You know that? Are you someone that God can give more power to? And I know the answer to that. I already know your future. 
God says, if you're faithful with a little, he'll give you more. So whatever you're doing right now, he says, that's a magnifier for what you're gonna do if I give you more. So you don't look at later, you say, God, I'm gonna be faithful with the little I have. If I have one client, I'm gonna do great. If I only have one small business, if I have a little bit of, whatever it is, I'm gonna be faithful what you give me now. And that's an indicator of how God's gonna give you more in the future. Can God handle giving you more power? Can God handle that? I think David was secretly awesome. When he was up on that hillside, I think David was secretly awesome. And this is what I'll tell you the next point. Don't, don't underestimate the power of hidden faithfulness. Do not underestimate the power of hidden faithfulness because nothing is hidden from our Lord. So when it comes to off-season workouts, David's up on the hillside. He's got his own off-season and he's just doing his thing. This is what I know about great athletes. Great athletes actually get better during the off season. That's what they do. Some athletes, when they have an off season, like, man, about time, I just need to rest, I need to chill, I need to kick it, I'm gonna sleep till noon. But great athletes, they actually grind more during the off season, during the regular season. That's when they get bigger, that's when they get stronger, that's when they get faster. They can't do that during the regular season because they have to rest their body and mind for the game. And so great athletes actually have this step to their life. Every off season, they just get bigger and better. That's what great athletes do. And I think all of us are in a off season that God is preparing for a season. So this is what I wanna do. I wanna, I wanna give you an off season workout. If you already have a workout plan, great, use it. If you don't have a workout plan, I wanna give you this one. Because one of the things I just said is great athletes, when they have an off season, they grind. They just grind. So we're gonna do an acronym of grind, G-R-I-N-D. And I'm gonna run through it really quick. The first one is this, the G, get up on purpose. When it's your off season, get up on purpose. What I mean is this, if, if you're like, man, I gotta be at work till nine, what, what a lot of us do is to go, okay, if I gotta get up at nine, what's the fastest I could brush my teeth, get ready and get out the door? I, can, I think I can get up at like 8.52. <laughs> I can do it. And then you go to bed and you're like, God, would you, would you bless me with supernatural ability to get ready in the morning? <laughs> but you know what great athletes do? They, spiritual mature people, they get up on purpose. They give themselves margin so that they don't start the day with anxiety. They don't start the day with stress. They give themselves margin so they can spend time with the Lord. They get up on purpose because they realize that this is the day the Lord has made and they're gonna make the most of it. They don't just aimlessly wake up whenever they wake up on purpose. Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. One of the things that athletes will say is rise and grind every day. You should just say that rise and grind. I'm gonna wake up every day, rise and grind. This is the day the Lord's made. I'm gonna go get it. Get up on purpose. The R, recognize God's kindness. Recognize God's kindness. Anytime an athlete makes a big play, scores a big run, gets a big touchdown, you know what they do? They high five each other. They go around high five. Every single morning I get up, you know what I'm doing? I'm high fiving God. I'm high fiving God. Y'all are like, that's weird. What's he talking about? I don't need you judging me. I ain't high fiving you. I'm high fiving God. Here's what I'm high fiving God. My high five is what are my five highlights that I'm thanking God for for yesterday? I'm just high fiving. Say, God, that sunrise yesterday, are you serious? That was gorgeous. God, that meeting I had, it didn't go the way I planned, but you, you helped connect me with something that I didn't know about. Thank you for that. And I just begin to recognize the kindness of God. Here's what I know. When you begin to recognize the kindness of God, you begin to see the kindness of God everywhere. And you know what that does? It gives you peace. 
It gives you joy. It gives you contentment. And I'm telling you, when you begin to just wake up and recognize God's kindness, it changes your outlook. Psalm 36, 7, how priceless is your unfailing love, O God. Get up on purpose. Recognize God's kindness. The third one is this, intentionally spend time with Jesus. Luke 5, 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus had an intentional time with his father. Our our relationship, Christianity is is a personal growing relationship with Jesus. My question to you is when do you intentionally throughout your day plan on connecting with Jesus? And and I just wanna be clear on one thing. Our God, and, and I don't mean to offend you with this, our God is too big, too majestic, too awesome to be okay with your leftovers. Do you know that? Like, hey, hey, God, I'm gonna fit you in if maybe traffic's bad and, I, and, and things are a little bit uh, in my car. Maybe I get time, then I'll spend time with you. Or at the end of the, no, 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 no. Our God does not accept leftovers. You read scripture, he, does, he rejects leftovers. He desires our best. So when is your best? And put that on your calendar. I don't care if it's 30 seconds. I don't care if it's 30 minutes, whatever it is, put it on your calendar, block it out and make it sacred. Intentionally spend time with Jesus. The N stands for this, never tell God no. Some of us are like, well, man, that, that makes sense. Like theologically, we don't tell God no, but let's be honest, we practically tell God no all the time, don't we? Let me ask you, what would it look like if before you ever came into this building, maybe on your way up in the parking lot, you just said, God, I don't know what the sermon's about, but my answer's yes. What if every time before you open your Bible, you said, God, before I open it, my, my answer is yes. What would you have me do today? I don't tell you no. That's not what I do. You're the Lord. I tell you yes. Great athletes, they put themselves, they submit themselves to a great coach and they don't tell the coach no. They just don't. They trust them. It's my favorite verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways. Submit to him and he will make your path straight. The D stands for this. Double down when things get hard. You know what great athletes do when things are hard? When they had a, a, a season that was horrible last year, they don't quit. When they're in a slump, they don't quit. Great athletes, they double down. That's what great athletes do. They're like, man, I'm gonna grind harder. I'm gonna work harder. But the last thing I'm gonna do is quit. What spiritually mature Christians do is when life doesn't go their, their way, they're like, well, I'm not going to Bible study anymore. I'm not going to church anymore. I'm just not feeling God. No, no, no. They double down and say, God, I don't understand the valley I'm in, but I'm gonna keep following you anyways. That's what they do. That's what spiritually mature Christians do is when life gets hard, they don't take a step, step back from God. They take a step toward God because they realize they can't do it on their own. We double down when things get hard or when we don't understand. I love Isaiah 50, verse seven. It says, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like a stone, determined to do his will. And I know that I will not be put to shame. Let's grind. Let's get up on purpose. Recognize God's kindness. Intentionally spend time with Jesus. Never tell God no and double down when things get hard. If you have your own workout plan, use it. If you don't have one, adapt this one, adopt this one, or maybe even adapt it a little bit however you want. I wanna end with kind of a, a benediction, a, a blessing, a prayer over you. And I wanna read it, I wrote it down because I mean this with my heart, but I wanna get it right. Here's my prayer for you. I want you to have a good off-season workout because I know a new season is starting for you soon. And God's gonna be looking for someone to do something big in 
and big through. And I so desperately want him to choose you because you'll be ready. That's my prayer. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you. Thank you that you don't look at our resumes. You don't look at our experience and you still find us worthy to be a part of your big plan. God, I pray for us, all of us, some way, shape or form, we've not maximized an off season. We've spiritually slept in more than we should. We've spiritually cut corners instead of running all the laps. we, We cut some of the laps. But God, your mercies are new every day. And so God, would you help us to have integrity of heart and skillful hands? Not for our benefit, but so that we might glorify you, so that we might steward our calling on this earth to the fullest of its ability. God, I love you. I thank you. Would you help us to get ready for the season you have in store for us? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. If this message was a blessing to you, be sure to click the follow button and share it with your family and friends. For more information about Journey Christian Church, please go to journeychristian.com.